All right, a couple months, a few months ago, Andy contacted me and said, hey, would you speak on the Beatitudes? Which is pretty cool, because during the summer, I was studying Sermon on the Mount. The last about six months, I've been studying the Beatitudes. Probably be the next book there, right? And so I thought, wow, that would be great. Yeah, cool. Thank you, God. Then as I got earlier, I said, okay, so what is the Beatitude you want me to teach on? And then he said, no, 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 I don't want you to teach on a bad Beatitude. I want you to teach on the Beatitudes. Again, there's nine, eight. I say nine, but depending on who you talk to. Those are nine different sermons. Thomas Watson in the 1600s did 22 messages on the Beatitudes. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones in the 1960 did a whole year, not on the Beatitudes, but on the Sermon on the Mount, actually a little over a year. And so, this is the hardest sermon I've ever actually put together. Because I sort of want to cover the Beatitudes because they're important. But there's nine of them. And yet, they're critically important. So the Beatitudes are as God's way of saying, here's how I want your heart to be if you're in the kingdom of God. These are the characteristics that are to form and shape your hearts. And as they form and shape our heart, they allow us to extricate ourselves, to escape from the ways Christianity has been westernized, co-opted, enmeshed within our own culture, reduced to an individualized, me-and-God kind of faith, but expands it to a us kind of faith, a community, so that we become a force in our culture and in our world, not just locally, but globally. It gives us a different perspective. It frees us to enter into a relational relationship with God and others that is transformative for ourselves, for our communities, and for the world. And so I encourage you, even after today, well, at the very end, I'll, I'll do a little exercise to help you do this, but as we go through the Beatitudes, see if there's one that sort of resonates with you. Like, huh, I wanna I wanna spend some more time exploring that. Now, these attitudes that were to, to internalize, because it's it's comes from within. In Matthew 5, 13 through 16, it says we're salt, we are light. Well, this is the foundation that makes it possible for us to be salt, for us to be light. And so these are things that are internalized, and we can't create them in and of ourselves, but through the life and death and resurrection of Christ, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, they can be energized within us. They can be developed, deepened, strengthened over time. And as we spend time understanding what the Beatitudes are, then they can actually be uh, a help in evaluating our lives. How am I doing? In terms of being important to spirit. How am I doing in terms of hungering and thirsting after justice? How am I doing in terms of being a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper, but a peacemaker? And we'll unpack that a little more as we go on. Now, before we look at the Beatitudes, I want to look at our first slide. And these are the sort of, I call them the Beatitudes of the world. And as you look at them, I just want you to honestly think, okay, which which of maybe I'm drawn to? Which might be, might I be, you know, if I was honest, sort of true to me. 
Again, this is not about condemnation, and that's not about condemnation ever. But it's about honesty, it's about awareness. So let me just read them. Blessed are the rich and self-sufficient. Blessed are those who never mourn, grieve, or feel pain. Blessed are those who dominate and control. Blessed are those who are not bound by right and wrong rules of the law. Blessed are the hard-hearted and harsh. Blessed are the pragmatic hearts. Blessed are those who retaliate and exact their vengeance. Blessed are those who are popular, well thought of by others, who do not make waves, but support the status quo. That's sort of how the world operates. Many of those you'll see depicted in movie after movie, show after show, because that is the culture we live in. And those are the messages that bombard us. But now let's look at the, the Beatitudes. And I only, I've only put the first part of the Beatitude because it'll say, blessed are the poor, for theirs is. And we'll, we'll come back to that later. But I think we jump to for theirs is as sort of a softening of the Beatitudes. But with that background of what the world looks, looks at too and, and affirms, here's what Jesus says. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. And individually and universally, we'll, and we'll talk about that a little more later, Blessed are the meek. And then in brackets it says justice. Thomas Merton says that meek is the biblical word for nonviolence. I mean, it says nonviolence. Next one says blessed are justice. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then I put justice. Righteousness and justice are exactly the same word in the Greek. There's no difference. You decide based on context. Am I going to put justice? Or I'm going to put righteousness. And when we think of righteousness as sort of this nebulous term, sort of spiritual, sounds good. Yeah, I want to be about righteousness. But when when it's about when it says justice, there's a down and dirty feel to it. That hey, it's, it's in the world. It's, it's real life. And it's interesting. N.T. Wright, who's a predominant theologian these days actually translates it justice, which obviously I agree with. Blessed are the merciful, that's, that's our, our theme for this, uh, this, this journey through uh, Matthew. Blessed are the pure in heart. And a good way to think of pure in heart is singled, single, singular of focus. And it talks about that, it says, seek first the kingdom of God. And we're to seek God's will and God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. He can't serve two masters. So you, you see this, this singular focus. What are we going to be about in our lives? There's treasure in heaven or treasure on earth, also says in, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, or again, it could be justice. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say all kinds of things against you because of me. So what are the ones that you might be drawn to on this one? And what are the ones like, no, thank you. Again, it's about honesty. It's not about condemnation. It's like, yeah, that's where I'm at. No way, God, do I want to be poor in spirit. No way do I want to be a mourner. No way do I want to be whatever you might say. And then, ask, invite God into that. You know, what's the resistance there? Resistance is always a gift, an opportunity to learn more about who we are and who God is. So even as we continue through our message today, pay attention to those things that you are, oops, I forgot to set my timer, um, to those things that you are drawn to or you're resistant to. 
<laughs> no, seriously. All right. So, there's the reactions. Now let's go to the next slide. Let's talk about the word blessed. Blessed is a word that has a lot of religious baggage and often seen as God doing something for people. So that's how we tend to see the Beatitudes. Oh, if you do this, then God does this for you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So it's like, oh, if I do this, then God gives me this. And, and yet if you look at the Hebrew, that's not the word, what the word blessed means. It actually, it can mean that, but it doesn't mean it here. So actually that is a valid point, so that is a valid uh, interpretation of the word. But what it means here is really number two. It's not, it's not God's favor in terms of authoritative efficacious. And efficacious just means, sort of like if you ever watched Star Trek, and then uh, Luke Picard says, make it so. He's not, it's not a request. It's like, this is going to happen. Make it so, number one. And then it happens. Well, that's what it means when, when blessed is efficacious. It's like, God says it, and it's going to happen. And that's not what we're talking about here. It's a little different. It's, it's an exclamatory statement that, that is based on a perception of reality. It's like, wow, that's amazing. Good for you. It's, it's looking at something, not from God looking down, but, but someone like us looking at someone else's life. You have a good life. You're doing it well. Like I was able to tell someone I was meeting with this week, you know, right now, you are living the best life you've ever lived. That's sort of what this is like. It's not, it's not blessing in terms of something happened to you because you did this and this happens. It's blessing because you're living the right way. It's like in Europe, if you ever drive around Europe, you, know, you go to the gas station, they have like three or four different kinds of gas you can use. And if you have a rental car, you really don't want to put in the wrong gas doesn't go well. Well, this is, this is basically saying, hey, you got the right gas in your tank. Blessed are you for if you are poor in spirit, because that's the right gas if you live in the kingdom. Blessed are you who mourn, because that's the right gas. That's how you go in the kingdom. And when you go that way, the gravitational pull of the kingdom of God, or as Matthew likes to say, the kingdom of heaven, is comfort. And you're mourning. It is satisfaction when you're seeking justice. It is becoming a child of God when you're following after peace. It is seeing God when you're pure in hearts. And so, so it's not, hey, God's going to bless you. It's not sort of like you put the right coins in the, in the vending machine, you pull it out, and here's what you get. It's like, no, this is what life in the kingdom looks like. As God and you partner together and curating these characteristics in your hearts, this is a natural outflow of what happens. So let's think of what are some alternative words we could use for blessing. So happy, in some translations you'll see happy. Happy, is, happy has its own problems with it because it tends to be subjective, more of a feeling. But fortunate, well done, congrats. And my two favorite ones, one's from Australia, one's from England. Good on you. Good on you, mates. Like, yeah, that's really what it means. Yeah, good on you. You're doing it right. Or, or I love in, in England, they say brilliance. 
stays there and go, brilliant. Yeah, that's the kind of life this is. It's a brilliant, good on your life. That's what God's calling us to. As we live life that way, then, again, the gravitational pull is, there is going to be comfort. There is going to be satisfaction. There is going to be these things that are, are promised to us. So let's look at the next slide, understanding the Beatitudes. There's a variety of ways to understand these Beatitudes. One of them is, this is a big word, eschatological, which just means futuristic. Like, this has to do with the future. And so what that means is there's no demands on here. It's like, hey, this is going to happen. When you get to heaven, these things are going to happen. And there's truth to that. Because there is a now and not yet reality to these Beatitudes. But that one just focuses on the future. And so it leaves the now part of it, which is huge. But a lot of people gravitate toward that because it's easier to explain in a broken world like, oh, these things are going to happen. Sort of a pie in the sky kind of idea. Now again, I'm not saying they won't happen. Yes, in fullness they will happen. But we can begin to live this out here and now. We can begin to enjoy the fruit. In fact, you know, it says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, share the comfort that you receive with others. Yeah, you're going to be comforted now. Not fully, not, not every tear will, will cease, every cry will stop, but there is a comfort that is ours as we, as we mourn, as we enter into the brokenness of our lives, and we enter into the brokenness of the world. Some people see this as an entrance requirement. So you have to do this. And if you, if you remember what Andy said the first time, said, you know, this is, this is modeled on Moses, Matthew. There's five, book, five sections, there's five books of, of the law. And so there's a sense that this is the new law. You know, in, in Matthew 5, 1 and 2, which we didn't look at, but it says, as he went up to the mountain. So, so that's drawing us back to Exodus, where God took Moses up on the mountain to get the new law. So some people think this is the new law. Here's what you do. And where it begins, you can easily see that. Oh, once we're poor in spirit, then we are, ours is the kingdom of heaven, and then we build on it. So it makes sense why you would do that. But then you have a work-centered Christianity. Oh, if I do the right thing, then I get the right thing. It's not, that's not what Jesus is about. Dallas Willard says, the Christian life isn't about earning, but there is work involved. But we don't earn it. We, we, it is graciously given to us as we, as we follow God's leading. So it's not entrance requirements. It's not you do this and you get this. And if you're reading, is it The Good and Beautiful Life? Okay, blessings on you if you're reading. It's a pretty good book. But I disagree with his interpretation of the absence. He says that the attitudes are for those people who are the down and outers, those people who are the marginalized, those people who, who life isn't working for them. And they hear the Beatitudes and say, wow, I'm not a loser. I can be in the kingdom. That's very attractive. I can see why you want to say that. But I think it guts what the Beatitudes are really about. Because the Beatitudes are saying to those from our first, from the world's perspective, hey, this is the reality. And you see that clearly in Luke chapter 6 that, that talks about the Sermon on the Plain, where he has woes and he has blessings. And he lets them have it. Like, hey, this is you. You are in trouble. 
And so this is not telling the down and outers, hey, you have a place, though it could resonate with them. I'm not saying it's not Satan. That's like, oh, Jesus is turning everything upside down. It's not about being rich. It's not about being powerful. It's not about being you know, carefree. It's about this reality of life that God meets us in no matter where we're at. As a down and outer, there is comfort, there are promises. But also, as, as someone who may be doing well, there's a challenge. Because these are the characteristics. These are the, this is the foundation of a life of love that God is calling us to that is very different, not only from our world, but from how the world has always been. Jesus, John Stott, his book on the Sermon on the Mount, I think it's paraphrased, counterculture. It's called the counterculture. That's really what, what Jesus is talking about here. And so, number three, these are characteristics of those in the kingdom, those living Jesus, a way of being in the world that leads to fullness of life, human flourishing made possible by Jesus. Is it something I said, Jen? Um, made possible by Jesus. So we don't do it ourselves. Jesus made it possible, but we co-create, we co-partner with God in this, in developing these things so that we can live Jesus. And all that living Jesus means is allowing Jesus to flow through you in ways that are true to who God has created and called you to be. So for Grant, it's going to be different than it looks for me. For Lewis, it's going to be different than it looks for Andrew. But that's, that's, that's the beauty of the kingdom. As we come together, we can play this, this constant of love and of grace and of patience. So generally, that's good. Um, that plays the music the world needs to hear. And it's not always a melody. So a lot of times, it's, there's dissonance that makes us pause and look. Ask the question, what's going on? The, the Beatitudes express what living in harmony with the ways of the kingdom. This is kingdom living we're talking about. Here's what it looks like. It is how we were created to live. See, that's an interesting thing. The way the world lives is not the way we were created to live. It's seeking to fill voids that can't be filled outside of God. This, the Beatitudes say, no, this is the way to live. The Beatitudes, in a sense, are Jesus' question to, how do we live the abundant life that you've provided us? How do we flourish as humans? How do we love and serve God and others? That's the Beatitudes. Jesus is the answer to that. There's a, there's a second century um, church father they call St. Arrhenius. And I love one of his quotes. He says this. The glory of God is a person fully alive. Isn't that beautiful? What brings God glory? It's when you are living out of your fullness of who God created and called you to be. And the Beatitudes are the tracks that we run on so that can happen. It looks different in each one of us. And it allows us to be the salt, to be the light that we're going to talk about later. Not today, so don't worry. Okay, next slide. And so, let's talk about these things. Foreign spirits. 
Poor in spirit is a dependence on God. It's a yieldingness to God. It's, it's, it's really like the song we sang at the end, uh, that we are sinners. But the good thing is that's not the whole story. In fact, that's not even the predominant story anymore, once we know Christ. But we still struggle. We're still flesh and blood. So poor in spirit owns that, owns this powerlessness, and it points us to a dependency on God. It's John, or Jesus says it in another way in John 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's owning that reality. Not as a negative, but just as, yeah. But with God, in another place, says all things are possible. So, so that is a great beginning place. Basically, it says, God, I need you. And that's a great way to start every day. Hey, God, I need you. This is the day that you have made. I need you to help me live true to who I am and to who the person you've called and created me to be. Number two, mourning. So a lot of times we see our brokenness, it's natural to mourn. It's like, oh man, I wish I wasn't like that. But that can just get stuck in this black hole of self-condemnation. That's not what the poor and spirit's talking about. It's just saying, hey, this is reality. The Dominicans have this great definition of humility. I think this is really what um, this poor and spirit and weakness is, is talking about to a large degree. And they say, humility, their definition of humility is a right view of oneself. A right view of oneself. It's not making you worse than you are. It's not making you better than you are. Like when people contact me to do speaking things or whatever, I always say, hey, here's what I can do. And here's what I can't do. You know, if, 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 at, if you're at my house at Christmas time and we're opening presents and someone opened... And I open a present and it's a drill, or it's a saw, or it's a wrench, or it's a whatever pencil you want to name. Everyone in that room who knows me knows you just opened the wrong present. That's your wife's present. <laughs> yeah, she can do all that stuff. You know, she, she does this great job in the backyard. What I do is I, oh, you want that removed, cut out, destroyed? I'm your man. I can do that. But that's, that's owning who I am. And there's all of us have that stuff. There's stuff that we're good at. That's great. Use it. Don't apologize for it. Yes, that's, that's wonderful. And then these things we're not great at. Right? Hopefully we don't have to do that a lot. But our, our identity isn't caught up in what we can do or not do. It's on who we are and whose we are. I belong to God. God belongs to me. So we mourn individually, but also as we begin to mourn, as our heart begins to break open with our own limitations, we begin to see the world in a different light. We begin to see that the world is hurting. And now we begin to mourn globally. Like, say, families that we, we practice as a church, what's that come out? It's mourning for the, the state of families who are trying to get their families back together, but there's, they need help. And our heart has gone out to that. We've mourned that. And what is it? It's led to action. It's led to the pursuit of, of, of justice, as we've hungered and thirst for that. But in between that is meekness. And I think we can mourn for especially global things, and it can get us angry. I need to do something. And meekness reminds us, wait a second. We still need to be dependent. And again, this is where Thomas is, I think, is very helpful. That meekness is actually is, is an invitation to nonviolence. 
And if you study nonviolence, I'm taking a class on it right now. It's a couple of books there. I'll be reading on it. But it's amazing how powerful nonviolence is, as opposed to violence in overthrowing governments, in changing the culture, in doing some things that's like, we just think violence is the way to do that. But as we do long, longitudinal studies, like, oh my goodness. Nonviolence is not pacifism, it's not being passive. It's this active force generated by love. We see that beautifully demonstrated by Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement, where you, to be to sit at the counter where they were, or they're trying to um, integrate soda fountain and things like that, you actually went to about a seven week class where people would yell at you, people would hit you, people would say things, so that you would be ready. And if you got angry, guess what? You're out. And Martin Luther King, it wasn't just about changing things. It's like, you have to love those people who are beating you. You have to pray for them. Because as we are nonviolent, as we are love and flesh, that changes people's lives. He believed in the power of love, the transformative power of love, in an incredible way that I don't think we often do. But it came out of this understanding of the power of, of nonviolence, the power of gentleness, the power of, of not relying on our own power, but on the power of love to change lives. And so then as, we, as we're poor in spirit, as we mourn, as we're meek, we begin to hunger and thirst for justice. Because we realize the world is unjust. And so we hunger and thirst for that. And we begin to, to order our lives so maybe justice can, can happen. This last summer we started, in my community, we started meeting with the police chief. Because we were trying to get a we we're trying to get the de-escalation policy changed. So it was mandatory, it was a fireball offense if you didn't de-escalate. So that started probably around June. We had meetings, meetings, meetings. And then we had our final meeting in November. And this was with the press, this was with the community. The other ones were on Zoom, one, you know, our group and the police chief. At the end, and we told them this is what's going to happen, at the end we're going to ask you this question, will you change policy? And he's going to say yes or no. That's sort of the point of that whole meeting. And we figured he's going to say no. But he said yes. And that policy for that community is now changed. Not because we tried to knock down city hall's doors, not because we even protest. But we could because we dialogue. And we are there because we love the community, and we're there because we love the police. And studies on de-escalation show they actually save lives on both sides. And and the, and actually, really at the end of the meeting, he couldn't say no, could not change it, because it makes sense for everybody. But we can get caught up in this, these power games. We can just say, no, let's trust God, let's depend on God. Let's find another way as we hunger and thirst after righteousness. And then as we hunger and thirst after righteousness, you can get all caught up in, let's do the right thing, let's, let's go. And actually, protesting is great. There's no reason why protests are great. And I, I've been a part of a number of them. So I'm not saying that, because that's not that doesn't have to be violence either. But we have to, we have to be merciful also. Like those people who are maybe caught in the system of injustice and complicit in it, as I am actually, need mercy. 
as I do. And so, so I extend mercy because I've received mercy, so I extend it to others. Because we can become these righteous people, like, this is wrong, this is wrong, and this is wrong. And, and as if, you're, if you've done any of this stuff, it's not that clear, it's not that black and white. And what's it look like to give mercy and try to give understanding to that person who doesn't see things the way, the way you do? To have a dialogue rather than just two people shouting at each other. That's where mercy comes in. And there's an interesting passage in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 2, it says, you will be judged as you are judged. And so, when I judge people, I try to deal with a lot of grace and a lot of mercy. This is exactly how I want to be judged. And it's just an interesting way of treat others as you would have them treat you. But I know I need grace. I know I need mercy. I know I don't have all these things wired. And why would I expect anyone else to? And then we become pure in heart. And that's really single focus. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. It, it refocuses us, not on the injustices, but on the God of justice. And seeking that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, as Jesus prays in the Lord's Prayer, which is also part of the same amount. And then that leads to being peacemakers, not peacekeeping, but peacemakers. And, and back in uh, The Good and Beautiful Life, I, do, I did appreciate when Smith said this, that to be a peacemaker, you have to be willing to die. Because it could cost you life. You know, Andy said, you know, he emailed one day, he goes, hey, I do, they're, they're doing this gathering in support of, I forget exactly what it was, um, but for a community thing, hey, you want to come? And I said, well, yeah, thanks for the, the heads up. But no, can't come. But I pray that you will be a person of peace. Because there's a peace that we can bring by our presence. Because we can bring, we can be a non-anxious presence. Because as we, as we embrace the kingdom and the kingdom embraces us, we begin to know, we begin to own, we begin to embrace that, that the universe does arc toward justice. That love does win in the end. And so though I may lose this battle and this battle and this battle, that's not the end of the story. Justice will come about. That goes back to now, not yet. No, this is, this is good stuff and it will happen. I can be a part of making it more happening now, but ultimately, it's not going to happen this side of, this side of the, the fullness of God's kingdom coming. And then, so those are all, I mean, those are all hard in themselves. And then the last two, these are the ones that everyone ignores. But I think these are the most important ones. Because it, pre it prepares us for what is likely, Jesus says, actually will happen that you will be persecuted because of justice. Because living true to the character and will of God, you will be persecuted. And Jesus says that in a number of places. They persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. I'm sending you out as serpents, um, or be a wise servant as innocent as doves, because I'm sending you out in the midst of wolves. A disciple is not above their teacher, above their master that you will be treated as I, am, I have been treated. And so to be ready for that, when I was a, a police officer, actually a deputy sheriff, a real police officer, um, you stood, this is how you stood when you talked to people. The gun was here, 
and you stood this way. Your back foot this way, your front foot this way. And the reason why they're bent, stand up. And show, do that stance. Very good. <laughs> because of this. If you're like this, push me. Come on, I'm old. What are you doing? Sit down, man. I'm going to hit my head on that thing. You can follow. Now, no one ever did that to me. In six years of patrolling and patrolling during the riots, no one ever came up and did that to me. But every time I was ready. So that I wouldn't have to react. See, if you go back like this, you can still make some choices. But if you're falling back, now it's life or death. The world is hammering us. You know, Romans says, you know, to conform to the world. And in Greek, it's a present active, and it's saying, the world is continuing to seek to be conformed. But we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We can be transformed as our heart is formed and shaped by these beatitudes. And then, so that's verse, or that's beatitude number eight. And that's usually where people bookmark it because it says, um, Blessed are those who are persecuted, da, 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 for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that's where the first one starts with. Like, oh, here's a nice prayer. But then, Jesus like, is like one of those ads on TV. But wait, there's another. <laughs> and usually when they're waiting, more like you get some more free stuff. But here's Jesus's, but wait, there's more. People will insult you. People will say bad things to you. It, it takes it from the, oh, we're going to be persecuted to, no, you're going to be persecuted to live life this way because of me. And in, in John 15, 18, it says that the world hates you, remember, it hated me. And so, as we live this life, and I think, I, I love the Bible so realistic, if you live this kind of life, people are not going to fall down and call you blessed. You're going to be persecuted. As a group and as an individual, we have to be ready for that. And there's some wonderful promises, but we only have like 50 seconds left. Um, and I could tell you about that. Um, but let's get to the next slide. Because I think this sort of is a great, I made this myself, by the way. I'm not really that good. Um, yeah, I thought of the idea, and then I got those arrow things. Dang, this is cool. Um, but I think it really summarizes well the Beatitudes, maybe in a way that you can get, get a great bit, better handle on it. So let's go to the next slide. That's built, built on that foundation. So humility, poor in spirit, meekness. That speaks of humility, a dependence on God. And then compassion. More, we mourn and we hunger and thirst for, for justice. There's, there's a, compassion means to suffer with. And so their pain is our pain. I have a poem that I wrote in the last book, um, Awake and Aware. But anyway, in Awake and Aware, that talks about compassion. I think that's even the title of it. But in terms of racism, it says, basically it says this, and this will be a paraphrase, because I, I haven't memorized all this. Um, when our heart, when the person who dies in the street is our child, is our mother, is our father, when our heart breaks for that person as it does for their own mother, by their own mother, their own father, their own child, that's compassion. That's what it means to love. That's not out there. When we do safe families, it's not the pain of that child, it's our pain. 
not the pain of this, but it's our pain. And we bring them into our homes. And we love them. Because their pain is our pain. And that's what the Beatitudes help us do. This humility of being poor in spirit. Then we get to a place that breaks our heart open. So we weep over the same things that God weeps over. And then, then there's courage. It takes courage to, to act this way. And courage in Hebrew in the Old Testament means to be resolute of mind, to be focused, to be committed. And in first, uh, not first vision, Joshua 1, it's three times there's a, there's a phrase that says, be strong and courageous. And I love that because the word courageous there means resolute of mind. But the word strong doesn't mean to be strong in and of yourselves, so it ties actually back to, to poor in spirit. But it means to bind yourself to someone or something that is stronger than you are, to the person of God. To Jesus, to Jesus' words, to Jesus' promises. So, the second, the third, how much? Do I need to stop now? I can. I, I, feel, like, I feel like maybe like at least four more minutes to get closure. You're right, let me do Is that all right? I can do that. Yeah, we don't need the last few minutes now. We want five more, not 20. I'll do four. <laughs> I could do 20 if people want to stay. <laughs> That's what I do with my Zoom classes. Okay, I'm, I'm done. Our time's up. I want to honor that. But if you want to stay, I have nothing after this. <laughs> okay, so let's jump to next slide. Next slide. Oh, wait. Stop there. Go back. Go back. Okay, so we're talking about the not yet and now results. So this is the second half that I haven't talked about. For there's, these are the great promises. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As we live this way, we experience more of the fullness of, of, of heaven. And Matthew uses the word heaven, kingdom of heaven. He's the only gospel writer who does. The others all use kingdom of God. But even once in, in Matthew, by the way, um, and this won't be on the list, but God, Matthew does use kingdom of God in um, Matthew 12, 28, which is sort of interesting. Oh, someone else said they're talking about <laughs> Checking up on me. Um, so there's the idea there we will be comforted so it's not mourning for the morning's sake there is a comfort that comes from it for they will inherit the earth and that's meekness isn't that interesting that this non-violence presence actually will, can overtake the earth and that's what you find when you study non-violence when I was studying it's like oh my goodness why doesn't anyone tell you this well because we're a violent culture and violence actually generates money Takes us out of, out of, you know, helps combat inflation. Helps us create new things. And so it's, it's always been something that's really helped. You know, let me use that word lightly. Um, the world. Okay, the next one, for they will be filled. That's hunger and thirst. And it's not an ultimate fillness here now. There was a sense of, you know, when the, when the, on that night when the police chief said, yes, we will do the de-escalation policy. It'll take this many weeks to make it official, but it will be done. There was a sense of, wow, we did it. And then last month, it's like, okay, what's our next step? Because it's not over. But there was a sense of satisfaction. That's yeah, so cool. On the next one, they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy again. You give mercy, you're going to receive mercy. And why do we give mercy? Because we have already received mercy. We've been forgiven. We've been given grace. So who am I to not show mercy? Um, 
blessed are the pure in heart to focus on one thing, and they shall see God. Because there's nothing else that's taking our, our attention away from God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So to be people of peace. So when we walk in a room, there's a non-anxious presence that we bring because we trust in love. We trust in the arc of the, of the universe to justice. We know that love wins. And we know that there is a, there is a not yet to the kingdom that is going to be fulfilled. We trust in that. And that hope for the future boomerangs in the present so we can live the life that God's called us to live. And then, and then the bonus beatitude it doesn't say that other thing I thought of that this morning. Oh, that would be good. Um, bonus beatitude. says, here's our attitude when people are saying bad things to you. Grant, you're an idiot. Then Grant should be saying, that is so great. They're saying bad things to me. And Dorothy Day actually put it this way, started the um, Catholic uh, workers' movement. She said, if you're not being persecuted, you need to look at your life because you're not living right. A, a, little, a little different. But in the world, we are going to be attacked for, for living Jesus. What, what happened to Jesus? He died on the cross. We're going to do the same. Okay, and then I have one last comment, and then we're done. So, we can turn off all the slides. So I just read this to you. The, the Beatitudes are descriptive of those who are living Jesus. They delineate a way of being that has been made possible by the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. The blessedness is the natural outflow of living a life that flows from eternal characteristics articulated by Jesus in the Beatitudes. They're the gravitational pull that, they're the gravitational pull that takes us in the kingdom to comfort, to righteousness, to satisfaction, to those things. Um, in a real sense, Beatitudes are Jesus' answer to the question. I started with this. What does life in the kingdom look like? Look at the Beatitudes. What does abundant life that Jesus offered entail? Look at the Beatitudes. What does it look like to be fully alive? Look at the Beatitudes. The benefits occurred are the natural results of living from the inside out. So that we're talking, all the Beatitudes talk about the inside. The rest of the Sermon on Mount is, hey, here's what Harrison looks like. Here's how you live this out. As our lives, and this is my last statement, as our hearts are shaped and contoured by the beatitude, then we will live Jesus, being salt and light, becoming a prophetic, non-anxious presence that can imagine a different way to do life, critiquing what is and offering hope regarding what can be, knowing, owning, and embracing that the universe arcs toward justice, and in the end, love wins. This deep knowing helps us to make some noise to get in some good and necessary trouble as we freely and fully love and serve God and others in deed and in truth. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.